0: be here. It's so good to see you this morning. And um, of course, Pastor Abe and Pastor Lily send their regards, they send their love, and we pray for them. And we just speak the Lord's hand of protection and favor upon them, especially as they travel to the coast in South Africa. Who's excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. You know, Church, I want to continue to uh, speak on something my father briefly shared when he was here a couple of weeks ago and he shared briefly on resist the devil. And so I wanna continue that today, resist the devil, because I believe that we're in a season of victory. We're presently, we're in a season of faith. We're in a season of triumph. We're in a season of taking back what the enemy has stolen from us. The Lord is moving in the life of this church. Amen, church. And so I pray this morning that your life would be impacted by this word amen if you would turn with me to the new testament john chapter 10 verse 10 and um, the scripture really lays the foundation for what i will be sharing about this morning the bible says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy i came that they may have life and have it abundantly amen And so we understand from the scripture that the devil has come for one purpose. It's to bring destruction on the face of the planet. It's to bring division. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ has come to give life and to give it in abundance. Amen. So this morning I want to teach on four tactics That the enemy uses to gain entrance into our lives four tactics four ways that satan has come to steal kill and destroy in our lives and ultimately we'll be looking at the remedy what is the remedy is there redemption is there hope for our lives and i'm so glad to tell you this morning church that the answer is yes and we're going to look at that later on today and so we're going to look at a story many of us should be familiar with the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And what we'll begin to discover this morning is that the same strategies and tactics the enemy used against Eve in the Garden of Eden are the same tactics and strategies he uses against us today. It's for this reason why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2:11, he says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant. Of his designs, other translations say, We are not ignorant of his devices. In other words, we are not ignorant of his strategies, we are not ignorant of his, of his tactics. The same strategies that he used and employed against Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden are the same strategies he uses against us today. Amen. So, we'll take a look at the tempter this morning, and we begin with the tempter the serpent Satan because we all battle the tempter on a daily basis and so it will give us valuable insight into understanding the strategies he used because understanding the strategy will better equip us to disarm the power of darkness in our lives so here we have the serpent in the garden of Eden and he begins with the woman he attacks Eve he identifies Eve and he begins to whisper lies of deception into her ear. And he begins with the woman not because she's inherently weaker than her mate. He begins with the woman perhaps for two reasons. Number one, Eve had not directly heard God's command stating the prohibition. She did not hear God's direct voice saying, Eve, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She heard this command from her husband, Adam. So number one, she did not hear God's direct word. And number two, Eve had not been exposed to conditions outside of the garden. Now, this might surprise many of us, but Adam wasn't created in the garden of Eden. Adam was created outside of the garden. And the lord brought him into the garden to cultivate the land to cultivate vegetation to name the animals and the beasts of the field the birds of the air god gave him divine work but this is different to eve's experience eve is essentially birthed in the garden she was birthed in an environment where she had everything that she had ever needed and wanted and desired she had a husband to protect her to love her to care for her to nurture her she had intimate relationship with the lord she understood we understand the scripture tells us that the lord walked with them in the cool of the day and so eve had experiential knowledge of the goodness and the mercy of god amen and then the serpent comes along one day and he begins to attack eve he speaks deception over Eve, and we're going to look at four ways now that the enemy attempts to attack people today. Number one, the serpent attacked Eve when she was alone. She was alone. And this is exactly the place and the position that the enemy wants us, because the enemy knows that if we can become isolated, then we become vulnerable if he can get us into a place of isolation then we become vulnerable and vulnerability is the perfect opportunity for the enemy to whisper lies of deception into our hearts minds and souls amen even nature testifies of this principle a lion not that i I, you know we don't have lions running around in south africa i just want you to know this okay I I, i know it from animal planet just like you do all right so So a lion, it never attacks a buffalo in the center of the herd. It never attacks the buffalo that's in the center of the herd. It charges the herd, and the buffalo that runs to the periphery of the herd, the outskirts of the herd, that is the buffalo the lion identifies and brings down. So there is strength in numbers. And this is the importance of godly fellowship. This is the importance of the church. This is the importance. That's why Paul says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. This is the importance of surrounding ourselves with people that are Christ-centered, Bible-based, and Spirit-led. People that would speak encouragement and, and correction into our hearts when it's necessary. Amen. This is the importance of godly fellowship. Number two, the serpent selected the ground carefully. He waited until Eve was in full view of the tree. And this is what the enemy waits for. He waits until we're in full view of our temptation. He waits until we're in full view of that screen, in full view of that substance, in full view of that person, in full view of false ambition, in full view of opportunities that result in exaltation. Self-exaltation. But I'm of the conviction this morning, church, it is our responsibility to uproot some of these trees of temptation in our lives. It's our responsibility. Amen. What does Jesus say in Matthew 18, verse 8? He says, and if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's our responsibility. Verse 9. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now, Jesus is using allegorical language, figurative language, metaphorical language. But what is he being figurative about? He's being figurative about the fact that we have the authority and responsibility to uproot some of these trees of temptation in our lives. Amen. Amen. To cut off our own hand, to cut off our own foot, to tear out our own eye, it is our responsibility to uproot some of these trees. And what does this look like practically? Practically, it looks like distancing ourselves from certain people of ungodly influence for some of us. For others of us, it looks like distancing ourselves from certain types of music, For others of us, it looks like cutting ourselves off from situations that necessitate cohabitation. We cannot blame God for spiritual bondage when we're unwilling to uproot trees of temptation in our lives. Amen. And church, don't water your tree. Don't water your tree of temptation. How do you water a tree of temptation? Through contemplation, meditation, thinking about the tree becoming consumed with that tree over and over day and night until it consumes every fiber of your being see when when eve was in the garden of eden she lost perspective eve lost perspective of the fact that god had given her the ability to eat of every tree in the garden of eden she could eat of every tree but the one tree she could not eat from consumed her And it became the downfall of her life, it became the downfall of Adam's life, and in fact, she brought the whole of humanity into enmity with God because of this one tree of temptation. Church, there's so much for us to be grateful for. Let's not become consumed with the one or two things that we cannot have in this world. Uproot your tree in Jesus' name. How do you uproot your tree? Well, if it's through contemplation that we nurture and cultivate trees of temptation, then it's got to do something with the mind. We've gotta take captive every thought. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse five. He says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And so it's when those thoughts uh, come uh, uh, around in our minds, it's to take those thoughts captive, it's to cast it to the ground and submit those thoughts to the Lord, amen. That's how you live in victory. That's how you walk a victorious life, amen, church. Number three, the serpent, the tempter, pretended to be seeking the best for his victims. He pretends to be seeking the best for his victims. Isn't that what he said to Eve in the Garden of Eden? In the Garden of Eden? Eve, I want you to have this gift And discernment of the knowledge between what's good and evil I know God doesn't want you to have this gift God might even feel threatened by the fact that you you are on the same level as him God doesn't want you to be on the same level as him but I want that for you I want the best for you I want you to have this gift but church Satan has come for one reason it is to condemn it is to deceive it is to lie murder steal kill and destroy but Christ has come to give life and to give it abundantly amen amen number four satan attacked the word of god he directly assaults the word of god genesis chapter 3 verse 1 the serpent raises a question to eve she raised the question to eve about god's word the serpent says verse 1 is it really true that god has said, has God said. Is it really true that this is the word of God? Has God really said, you must not eat of any tree in the garden of Eden? Now just bear with me. Let's turn to Matthew chapter four, verse one. This is when Jesus, it says, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him saying, if you are the son of God command these stones to become loaves of bread verse 4 but he answered this is how he answered this is this is miraculous he says it is written it is written let's bear in mind Jesus is the son of God he is the one who is exalted above every power every dominion every authority He is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus, in this situation, he could have dealt with the devil in any kind of way that he wanted to. He could have dispatched a legion of angels to deliver him in this moment and just defeat Satan. He could have called fire and brimstone. But the choice of his weapon, of Christ's weapon, is the word of God. He appeals to the word of God. The word of God is the source of his weapon. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When we think about the armor of God, many of us might be familiar with the helmet, helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. All of these elements are defensive weaponry. But the only offensive weapon we carry is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See, church, it's when you take up the Word of God in your life. It's when it becomes alive to your heart, mind, and soul. It's when you utilize the Word accurately, skillfully, and truthfully. This is when you disarm the power of darkness in your life. Amen. Now, the question that the serpent asked Eve actually undermines God's command by exaggerating it. Let me show you what I mean. In verse, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Is it really true that God has said you must not eat of any tree? Any tree. That's significant. Is it really true that God has said you must not eat of any tree? Why? Because one chapter before this, chapter 2, the Lord said to, to, to Adam in, in, in verse 16, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. You see what the serpent did there? Do you see how he has attempted to twist truth? He comes to Eve and says, is it true that God said you cannot eat of any tree, but God said you can eat of every tree? See, church, we need to be strong about what the word of God says. We need to be strong about what the Lord says. And when the enemy comes and whispers his lies of deception into our ears, we need to know how to combat that deception. When the enemy comes to you and says that you cannot overcome, it's time to say, devil, it is written, I have overcome. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When the devil comes and says, you have been defeated, it's time to say, devil, it is written, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. When the devil says, you are a failure, it's time to say, in all these things, I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. When the devil says, you are not strong enough, it's time to say, it is written, it is not by might, it is not by power, it is by the Spirit of the Lord. When the enemy says you do not have the authority to kick him out in your life, it's time to say, it is written, he has given me authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall harm me in Jesus' name. Amen, church. We take up the sword of the Spirit and we fight the enemy with all the power and authority that he has given unto us in Jesus' name. Amen. Satan once again argues the authority of God's word, and this time he attacks God's character. See, this is really what what the enemy has attempted to do in this world. It is to remove the truthfulness, the integrity, the infallibility, the historicity, the eternality of the word of God. If Satan can get you to question the authority of God's word, then we become susceptible to every lie and deception. Church, if you don't stand for truth, you will fall for any lie. I'm going to say that again. If you don't stand for truth, you will fall for any lie. And how has the enemy planned on executing this plan of deception it's through the means of social media ungodly influence movies music all these elements that conjure arguments that exalt themselves against the knowledge of god that's what paul says evolution has attempted to remove the standard of morality i'll touch on that in just a moment we understand this moment that the same tactics that the enemy used against eve in the garden are the same tactics he uses against us today amen first the serpent denied the word of God chapter 3 verse 4 says but the serpent said to the woman Genesis chapter 3 verse 4 it says but the serpent said to the woman you will not you will not surely die but the Lord said one chapter before this in the day that you eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you Will surely die. Now the serpent comes along and and he, he tries to console man's flesh, man's carnal desires, and he says, You will not surely die. Satan has now attempted to remove the first great barrier of sin. What 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 is this barrier? It is the consequence barrier. There are no consequences for your actions, there are no consequences for the way you live your life. Just do whatever, whatever makes you happy. Just live the way that you want to. There are no consequences for the way you want to live your life. And this to me is really where evolution comes in. This is really the endeavor of evolution. And I say this because evolution says you can live the way you want to because there's no moral standard. And there's no moral standard because there's no moral lawgiver. There's no moral lawgiver because there's no God. And since there's no God, there's no judgment. And since there's no judgment, there's no accountability for the way we live our lives. We become the God of our own lives. And this is exactly the temptation, the serpent's temptation toward Eve. Satan wanted Eve to believe that she was on the same level as God. The serpent wanted Eve to believe that she was her own master. She was the God of her own life, of her own life. And you know what's ironic is that the first opportunity, the first moral judgment Eve made over her life, as the God of her life, she brought all humanity into enmity with God. The first opportunity she had in exercising the power of being the God of her life, she brought destruction to this world. Says something about us becoming the God of our own lives. Satan then went on to suggest God's prohibitive motives to be impure. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5 says, and this is the serpent speaking, he says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the serpent is suggesting experiential knowledge to be a desirable godlike quality that God is jealously and selfishly reserving for himself. That's what, this, that's what the serpent is trying to implement here. And this is the devil's attempt to remove the second great barrier of sin. What barrier is this? The love of God barrier. God doesn't love you enough to give you this gift. God doesn't love you enough to make you Uh, be on the same level as him God is afraid and he feels intimidated God doesn't love you enough that's what the serpent is saying and what happened after this contemplation followed temptation Eve began to water her tree she began to nurture this tree of temptation and it began to bear fruit in her life contemplation followed temptation Eve studied the tree she took note of the tree And it appealed to Eve in two different ways. Number one, physically. Eve saw that it was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. It had an aesthetic appeal, much like many of the temptations we have today. It's pleasing to the eye. It's pleasing to the eye of our carnality, to the eye of our flesh, to the eyes of our desires. And number two, intellectually. It appealed to Eve intellectually. The tree enticed Eve because she saw it had the potential for making one wise. And so every temptation we ever have will fall into one of three categories. And this is what Apostle John refers to in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life every temptation we ever have will fall into one of these three categories and in fact eve's temptation fell into all three of these categories what happened after this after eve was birthed in an environment where she had everything she had ever wanted and needed she had a husband to love her protect her provide for her she had intimate communion with father god every single day what was eve's decision what did she do eve surrendered to the temptation she partook of the forbidden fruit and she committed the first human act of rebellion against god and immediately after she did this she went to her husband adam gave him the fruit and he partook of the fruit without any hesitation or resistance and adam joined his mate in the transgression and so we understand chronologically Eve ate first, but theologically, Adam is declared to be the original sinner. He is the head of the human race, and he is responsible for this action. Consequences follow this decision, and what we'll begin to discover is everything they desired to become, everything they desired to attain, they became the exact opposite, they attained the exact opposite of what their temptation promised. Temptation is a false hope. If temptation promises satisfaction, you can be sure sorrow is about to follow. If temptation promises life, you can be sure death is about to follow. If temptation promises wholeness, brokenness is about to follow. They became everything that they desired to to not become they became the opposite and so we're going to look at six indications okay this morning because of time we're going to take a look at three indications of their guilt number one for adam and eve the eyes of their mind was open just as the serpent had promised but they saw themselves as frail mortals not as gods they recognized their frailty they recognized their mortality. For the first time in their lives, they recognized that they were naked. And let me tell you this morning, church, God is anything but frail. God is anything but mortal. He is eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. He is the beginning and the end. But for the first time, mankind recognized they were frail. Their frailty, their mortality. Before the fall, they were innocent, and now they're guilty. Number two. Adam and Eve now knew good and evil, but not the way God knows good and evil. Listen to this example, this illustration. A sick man has a knowledge of suffering which is different from the physician who treats him. Isn't that good? The physician has a knowledge of suffering. He has an understanding of suffering. He has an understanding of sickness. But it's different from the one who's experiencing the sickness. He's experiencing the sickness. It, it's by experience. He has it. It's, it's in him. It lives within him. But a physician, the physician, the doctor understands, um, he, he knows about the sickness and he knows the the, the the difficulties that it can cause, the troubles that it causes, but he also knows the remedy for that sickness. And so, in the same way, God, who's omniscient, he knows about evil, but man, for the first time, now knew evil by experience. It's ingrained in every fiber of our being. Number three, Adam and Eve lost fellowship with God. When they heard the sound of God walking in the garden, they hid themselves. Mistrust, fear, and guilt replaced their fear, uh, their trust, and open communion with the Lord. And so we understand this morning that Adam and Eve, as the crown of creation, they are the reason why sin has infected the entire human race, as does the cancer in the bones of an old man. And what happened? What occurred? Spiritual death took place. Spiritual separation. In fact, of all the curses that Adam and Eve had to endure, this is by far the worst curse, the eternal chasm that has been created between God and mankind. This gap, there's a gulf, and it cannot be bridged from our perspective. It cannot be bridged. It doesn't matter how many good deeds, how many good works we do in this world. It cannot be bridged. There's nothing we can do. There's no sufficient act that we can do to bridge this gap that was created between God and mankind. It could only be bridged from God's perspective. Could only be bridged if God would bridge it. It would only be mended if God would mend it. It would only be healed if God would heal it. And this is where hope comes in, church. Somebody say amen. This is where hope comes in. Despite the tragedy that was caused. By their disobedience toward the Lord, God in His grace and abounding mercy, He provides a hope for Adam. He provides a hope for Eve, and He provides a hope for the whole human race. It's a hope that will not disappoint. It's a hope that does not put to shame. It is the hope of salvation. It is the hope of eternal life. And so we're gonna look here, the first messianic prophecy comes in the most unlikely place. The first messianic prophecy comes in the context of the Lord's curse upon the serpents. Isn't that interesting? The first messianic prophecy, the first prophecy about our savior Jesus Christ is seen as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In the context of the Lord's curse upon the serpent, The scripture says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is the Lord saying, I will put enmity between you, which is the serpent, and Eve and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring. Between the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring, Eve's offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Amen. Now, God subjected the serpent to great punishment, severe punishment. But the battle between the two seeds would reach its climax in a confrontation between the serpent himself and a single representative of the woman's seed, a single representative of Eve's seed. And the Bible says that the serpent will strike at the heel of this champion of righteousness and inflict great pain upon him. But this champion of righteousness will rise up and crush the head of the serpent. Now this victorious Messiah, this champion of righteousness is who we know as the victorious Messiah. Jesus the Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. The beginning and the end, the one who is exalted above every dominion. Every stronghold, every tower. His name is Jesus. And you know what's so amazing to note about this church? Is that the serpent will strike at a very insignificant part of Jesus, his heel. But Jesus will crush the most vital aspect of that serpent. He will crush his head, giving him a fatal blow. Amen, church. That is so good. That's so powerful. That is good news for us this morning. And so Adam, watching all of this unfold before his eyes, he took note of these hints of hope during this pronouncement of divine punishment upon the serpent. And Adam demonstrates faith. He demonstrated faith in the promise of God and for the future of humanity when he renamed his wife Eve. His wife's name was Woman. That was her first name. And then he renamed the woman Eve. And it demonstrates faith because Eve means one who continues to give life. And so Adam is expressing faith that Eve would produce the offspring promised to her in Genesis 3 verse 15. That she would produce a righteous remnant and from this righteous remnant would come... The victorious messiah jesus the son of god and this faith that adam demonstrated implies repentance and the lord responds to adam's faith and repentance in a very peculiar way in a very unique way what does the lord do the lord clothed adam and eve in skins Some scholars suggest that these are the skins of a goat or the skin of a lamb. And miraculously, these skins serve as a foreshadow of the robe of Christ's righteousness that will be given, that will cover those who have also surrendered to the tactics and strategies of the evil one. See, all have fallen short of the glory of God. But this robe of righteousness, this robe of Christ's blood, would cover those who have fallen short of the glory of God. This is how God would redeem Adam and Eve of their failure. And the fulfillment of this is found in the work that Jesus had completed on the cross of Calvary. This is, the fulfillment of this is found in the blood of Jesus. In the death, the resurrection of Jesus. See, many of us, like Adam and Eve, we have surrendered to the lies of the enemy. We have surrendered to his tactics. We have surrendered to his schemes. In fact, uh, Paul says in Romans that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we begin to believe the whispers of the enemy in, in our ears because he tells us and we think to ourselves, we have fallen so far from the Lord's hand of grace and mercy. There is nothing we could ever do in this world to make him love me again. God could never love me again. God hates me. He could never forgive me. His hand of grace could never touch the dirty, hypocritical, shameful sinner that I am. I am not worthy of his forgiveness. Am I able to have a personal relationship with him? Is there redemption for my life? And I'm so glad to tell you this morning, church, that the answer is yes. There is redemption for your life. There is hope for your life. There is freedom for your life. There is deliverance for your life. Amen, church. You have not fallen too far from the Lord's hand of grace and mercy. And in the same way that he covered Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he will cover you with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He will cover you with the robe of Christ's righteousness. That's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, this is my final scripture for this morning, it's, it says, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, by cancelling the record of sin that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside. Jesus, the Messiah, set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Somebody say, nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them on open shame by triumphing over them. Amen, somebody. What is the scripture saying? It's saying that in this moment that Jesus hung on the cross, In this moment where he was about to draw his final breath. In the moment when one would expect defeat, there came the victory. In this moment when one would expect defeat, there came the victory, church. Your triumph is found in the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. This is triumph over Satan. This is triumph over the enemy. This is triumph over darkness. This is triumph over sin. This is triumph over its consequences. The source of our redemption is found in the blood of Jesus, amen. Church, can we stand to our feet this morning? Can we give the Lord a wonderful hand of praise? Just put your hands together for the Lord this morning. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Church, maybe you're here this morning. I don't know who you are. I don't know your background, where you've come from. But maybe you're here this morning and you feel that it is impossible for God to forgive you. You might feel like it is impossible. You are too far from the Lord's hand of grace and mercy. I want to tell you something this morning, church. God is calling on you not to believe that he will do the impossible. He's calling on you to believe that he has done the impossible. Amen. He has done the impossible. He's already done it 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. For there is a stainless lamb. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life and yet he died a sinner's death. He rose on the third day. And he's presently seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you would believe in this, if you would believe in this impossible, in these impossible acts, then I'm so glad to tell you this morning, church, that every failure, every shameful action, every downfall, every disappointment, every hurt has been nailed to the cross. The curse has been broken over your life in Jesus' name, and you have life through the power of the cross of jesus christ and so maybe here this morning and if you have never made jesus the lord and savior of your life i want to give you an opportunity right now i want to pray a prayer with you right there where you are i'm not going to call you to the front or embarrass you in any way i want you if you want to make jesus the lord and savior of your life then i want you to quickly slip up your hand on the count of three and we're going to pray a prayer together are you ready church one two three three just quickly slip up your hand right there where you are and i just want to pray a prayer with you for right there where you are amen thank you lord just raise your hand right there where you are wherever you are if you want to make this decision right now and give your life to jesus and make him not only the lord but the savior of your life and just quickly slip up your hand thank you father amen thank you for those hands church church can we just pray this prayer together lord jesus lord jesus today i put my faith in you and i thank you for nailing my failures to the cross that i might be righteous in the sight of god i repent for where i have surrendered to the schemes of the devil and to the trees of temptation in my life right now I resist you, devil. I resist you, devil. And you shall flee from my life, from my home, from my workplace, from my family, from my mind, from my heart. I walk in the victory of Jesus Christ as a child of the almighty God. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone with faith said, Amen and amen and amen, amen. Church, thank you for coming this morning. It's such a privilege to be ministering to you and and with the team being part of the worship team. And um, right now, are, are we? We're not going to do okay.